what's up everyone? This show has been dead for a while and it's just really because like it's just life has been so busy lately. I've been working on streaming and then traveling and stuff and now we're in the middle of a pandemic. And so um you know, like work has gone virtual and 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 all these other priorities came out the way. So, you know, race to the finish wasn't necessarily at the the front of my mind, but we're back and I'm working on getting in a more uh consistent schedule. But I wanted to bring somebody on to kind of talk about like what's really most relevant during these times. Like maybe not necessarily the things that are in the spotlight too much. You know, we hear a lot about how COVID uh, like like how COVID affects the general population, right? And how bad of a pandemic is. And but the thing is, there's intersectional um, experiences that 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 happened that aren't necessarily spoken about. And so. I wanted to bring in my friend, Priscilla Flores, <laughs> and, uh, you know, I'll just let her introduce herself. <laughs> hey, everyone. Uh, Carlos, thanks for having me. Um, so, uh, like I said, my name is Priscilla. I'm actually a mental health therapist in Beachwood, um, Ohio, obviously. And I'm really excited to talk about what we're going to talk about today. Cool. Sweet. So let's just jump right into it. Like, so you said you're, um, can you tell me your title again? I keep on, like, I get, like, so, like, sure. caught up, and I'm like, okay, I don't want to mess this up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, we, so, like, I mean, I could go by clinical therapist, mental health therapist. It's just easier for gotcha. me to say mental health therapist so people know what kind of therapist I am. But um, I work with adults, um, 18 plus, all diagnoses, all kinds of uh all kinds of situations. So I'm pretty versed in the sense of mental health. And I've been doing it now for about two years. Yeah. And that's cool. I remember like we were in college together. Like we would always have all these different kinds of conversations. Like, okay, what the heck am I going to do with my life? And then you would always have to kind of just, just like get me straightened back up to like my right path. And so I'm glad we were able to like keep up our friendship after this long. And I'm happy to see like where you're at. Yeah. Oh, always, yeah. yeah. So let, let's let's get right back into it. So you work in mental health. Yeah. Uh, you're a mental health therapist and all of that. So obviously, like this whole pandemic isn't a very normal experience. It's 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 really just very different. I mean, we're we as people, uh, the way that I understand it is, we are social beings. Like we need to socialize. It's part of our mm-hmm. survival. And so it just doesn't make sense to me, like how we as people are supposed to like endure this with pleasure or with ease as the right word with ease. Oh, sure. So, I mean, can you kind of describe just like what this, this whole pandemic can do to somebody, you know, oh. what, what, what it has, what, like generally speaking, like what has mm-hmm. it done to like mental health as a whole? Sure. So, um, so coronavirus COVID-19 pretty much is considered a trauma. Um, because all generations have never dealt with this in our time. So obviously there were different kind of pandemics that older generations talk about. So if you, if you hear them, they talk a lot about like the HIV era, or they talk about, um, you know, just STIs, like period, how that, when that came about, AIDS, like they consider that as a pandemic. This is a whole different kind because um, the world has shifted so much. Um, that this is now considered a trauma. So in the realm of mental health, 
it has impacted people in so many different ways from, you know, from socioeconomic class all the way to race, all the way to age. I mean, the way that Gen Zers are reacting to this is completely different than um, millennials. And then even, I mean, even boomers, like, I think what I've seen um, since this all, this has all started has been astronomical in the way of how people are dealing with it. And it, and it dealt in like how people are reacting mentally to how people are reacting physically, because you're right, we are very much social beings. And then for our extroverts out there, or for those who are mixed between extroverts and introverts, this is super hard that you have to stay home. And then on top of that, sometimes you have to stay home with people that you're not used to staying home with or don't want to stay home with, which is a whole other piece of thing. So nonetheless, in conclusion, coronavirus is definitely considered a trauma. And it, it, it's weird because, like, I, I sometimes I don't know, like, where I, like, fall under, like, with this whole, like, extrovert versus introvert type of thing. Yeah. I think yeah. anyone that knows me would be like, Carlos, shut up. You're an, you're an extrovert. And I'm like, ah, yeah, but, like, but I know at you the same a long time. <laughs> <laughs> but but at the same time I, I enjoy a lot of introverted activities so right. like there's a joke that goes out there it's like oh like gamers are having a great time right now and i'm like yeah i'm having a i'm having a blast but at the same time like you brought up the physical aspect yeah. like i like to go out to the parks yeah. i like to i like to be outside i like to hang out with my friends like yeah. all of, all of which are you know can be very extroverted activities so i can i can say like personally within myself i'm like yeah like this isn't easy like I lost a bunch of weight last week, last year, and I probably gained like maybe 50% of that back because yeah. I don't have access to a gym. Right. And, you know, I, I don't want to be going to the grocery store all the time, you know, with yeah. all these, like, you know, all these infections going on and stuff. So I'm not cooking all the time either. So I run out of fat. Uh, I run out of food like faster. You know what I'm saying? There's just a lot of factors yeah. that play into oh, it. Oh, absolutely. I mean, for the people that use gym, like gym as a stress reliever, like, and they have to figure out ways how to do it at home. And half the time, the reason why we go to a gym is because we don't want to do it at home. Like, imagine how that setup is in our minds, where we're like, what am I supposed to do with myself? I guess I'm just going to sit on this couch then, because I have a gym. Like, that's how the majority of people are considering this, or seeing this. So it's tough. It definitely is, yeah. Right. And you got to think about, like, our families, too. You know, (laughs) I would say, like, (laughs) so we're both Salvadorian, and you have, you know, Puerto Rican heritage as well. But, you know, all in all, like, a lot of Latinx families are just, like, you know, very tight. Like, a lot are very tight-knit, right? Yeah. And always, you know, worried about seeing you all the time and stuff. And you got to <laughs> wonder, like, you know, what is, what is the, the, the COVID-19 experience, you know, quarantine, lockdown experience look like for, for, for marginalized communities, you know, with certain family dynamics? And oh, yeah. I, I could yeah. say, like, with, within myself, like, I have a godfather that lives down the street from me. But now, mm-hmm. like, you know, he's trying to spend more time with my family because you know, he lives alone. Mm-hmm. Like, being alone is, like, terrible, you know, especially if you're, like, 70-plus years old. Yeah. And on the flip side, my parents are always wondering, like, where are my, sis- my sister and I at? And I'm like, yo, like, we really shouldn't be driving and going to see you guys all the time. Like, <laughs> but they don't get it, right? <laughs> yeah, I mean, they get it now. But, like, at yeah. the beginning of the quarantine, it was a little difficult. But... I uh, I just gotta wonder like how like other families might be dealing with this, you know, sure. because there's certain expectations that come with different cultures, you know. Oh yeah, I mean I think you 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 hit it right on on the head when you said that like 
not only our Latinx family is really close knit, but like other marginalized like communities, other POC families, especially like Black families, Asian families, Native Americans, like we half the time we have multiple people in our household. You know, we we take care of our own. That's like a big phrase within our communities. So when this pandemic hit, not only did we have like our families, like the like immediate family members, we also have the extended family members that live with us or live down the street from us that are now staying with us because they can't be alone or they don't want to be alone. So um, because of that, now, you know, people of color are living in crowded housing situations um, and makes it super hard for social distancing because all those people, if they're working, have to go out and come back in and there's risk, right? So on top of that, like on top of that piece, then you have a piece of, you know, some people are just not really good with the families and now they have mm-hmm. to stay there. And it makes it very difficult to have your own space, which we're very much used to, like our college students who have to come home and are very used to living in a residence hall or living in their own place with roommates and now have to come home to, you know, family or potentially a toxic family situation. It's a lot. It's a lot of pieces to that, yeah. And I guess I got to ask this question then, like, what are some good, I guess, some coping mechanisms or like, you know, some like healthy practices that people of color and maybe, you know, other people from 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 marginalized backgrounds mm-hmm. or or minoritized backgrounds can practice to, you know, to, to I guess you could say to stay sane through all of this, like sure. to make sure that we're, we're level headed and, you know, we can make it through however long this goes for. Yeah. So I think the biggest thing and I know it it may seem like wild for me to say, but really establishing boundaries with if your parents, your guardians, like older family members, um, it take it's taken a while for our older family members to understand that we need space from each other. All because we're back home doesn't mean that we're going to be all up in each other's business. So sitting there and actually having a conversation with, you know, family saying, hey, listen, I'm so glad that we're here together because I don't want to go through this alone. And I want to be with you all to help you in whatever way I can. But I need my own space. So if I actually leave, you know, after we've been sitting in the living room for this amount of time, it's not because I don't want to be with you because I need my own time and really establishing that by saying, I feel statements. I, I use this for everybody. When you're trying to make your needs and feelings known, I feel this way. Um, takes away that blinging. Like you are doing this mm-hmm. to me. You are making me feel this way. When in reality you're feeling that way. So say you're feeling that way. So I think that's the first thing, establishing boundaries. Um, if that's a little harder then I recommend like leaving the house, going on walks, like taking time for yourself and finding an activity that you can do on your own and not with others. So whether that's coloring, whether that's puzzles, whether that's listening to podcasts, whether that's, yeah. you know, whatever it is, do it for yourself, get out there and um, make sure that it's an activity for yourself. Those are the two biggest ones. Um, I would say setting boundaries, and finding um, an activity for yourself. I was gonna say, like, I, I've I've been kind of like implementing some of that stuff. But I live with my sister, and mm-hmm. so and even my sister and I, we both know that we need our own space. Like, yeah, <laughs> we'll like we'll hang out with each other and stuff. And 
and we'll spend time. But even we both know it's like, like if we spend too much time with each other, we're immediately going to get annoyed. So because we know that about each other, we we have our own rooms, we have our own space, and we do our own thing. And I think with that understanding, it makes for a healthy living space. Oh, for sure. For sure. I think because already because you two know each other, it's, it's a little easier. But on top of that, you know, you two probably have said it without actually saying it like, I need my own space. So you guys yeah. go ahead and do it. And then that's that. So it, I wish it was easier like that when it came to parents. But as you know, and especially Carlos, as you would know, like Latinx parents, they're very much like we're a family unit. So we're going to go through this yeah. together. So understanding that like boundary piece of like, well, yes, but I also need time for me because I'm not used to all of this for those who live away and have had to come home. Like that's something super important. I think uh, something that I really had to establish with my parents is getting them used to me rejecting Mm. that type of, I guess you could say dialogue towards me where it's like, you know, when this quarantine immediately started, like they were already pushing the ideas like, well, maybe you should move back home throughout yes. this time. Yes. You know, maybe you should, you know, you still have your room here. You could stay with <laughs> us. And, and I'm like, ma, dad, <laughs> please chill. Like, like, please yeah. like relax. Like I have my own space. I'm taking care of myself. You know, I don't think it's a good idea, you know, for us to be like here. Plus I have my work over here, so I need to be over here all the time. And mm-hmm. so it took a while to get to that point because if I yeah. were it, 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 but it also took a lot of standing my ground and kind of holding yeah. my own yeah. and, 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 and just being an adult, like period, you know? Yeah. And yeah, advocating for yourself with parents is definitely a lot harder, especially with in families of color. So for sure. And speaking of that though, too, like, like families of color, Latinx families and stuff, like mm-hmm. I had a lot easier time with that than my sister. You know, my sister, like she's oh, yeah. she's, she's a woman. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yep. And so, yep. like, yep. I I would say I would say part of the only part of the reason why she's out of the house right now is because she's living with her brother. Like, 100%. if it was just any other male, like, no. Like, yeah. And yep. maybe any other female, it'd still be no. Like, it's because she's living with me, and it's it's mm-hmm. it's probably not the best. You know, that's not that's not okay. But right. um that conversation was probably a lot harder for my sister to have with my parents about not moving back to the house instead of her staying with me. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Especially when there's uh, male siblings for sure. Yeah. That's, and that's something that we can get into a whole different thing, but for sure y'all are held (laughs) at a different standard. So it makes it a little bit more difficult for her compared to what it'd be for you. Yeah. absolutely. Yeah. And so, uh, but at the end of the day, like this has, and you see this a lot online, like this has become our new normal. Right. And mm-hmm. and there's a lot of hopefuls out there that say, oh, like, we'll we'll get things will go back to normal. Like, hopefully we'll get back to normal. But I'm not necessarily like on that train. You know, no, I, I don't think we'll ever go back to normal. Like, I, I'm under the understanding that you said, like, it's a traumatic experience. Like, where where did we really go from here? You know? Right. Right. No, for sure. I think I think like we should, one, like I said, we shouldn't go back to the way things were. I think. Um, this is a solid wake up call on how we view um, just in general, how we socialize, how we interact with others and um, where we, where we fit in this world. Like, especially in terms of like our essential workers, <laughs> like yeah. they are, although we praise them left and right, they are not given enough credit than what they deserve. Um, especially those in like the food service industry, transportation, you know, environmental services, healthcare, all that good stuff. You know, like 
where we go from here, it's going to be a lot of self-care. And right. I, feel, I don't think enough people recognize that, that it's going to be a lot of caring for ourselves so that we can get back out there. Because a lot of people are going to be afraid to get back out there after this. Like, right. I know for myself, like, the idea of just going back into restaurants or being in large groups, like, that idea makes me nervous because of, of the concept that we don't have a solution to or an idea of a solution um, for coronavirus. So we're, ve- we're very much a society that focuses on control. And if we don't have the control or we don't have answers, a plan A, B, or C, we panic. Hence why toilet paper disappeared everywhere. It's so mm-hmm. But like the idea that we don't have control on what comes next makes everyone panic. And I think we have to understand that we got to be gentle with ourselves. So at least in my opinion, I think focusing on ourselves would probably be the next step. But, you know, who knows? Yeah. And, and you got you to gotta think about this, too, like, with a traumatic experience, I mean, you're, you're, for what I understand about trauma is that, like, your body reacts to anything okay. that can trigger that trauma. And so, mm-hmm. like, I, you know, going out back into large groups may be physically traumatic for people. Yes. Like, yeah. and, and that, 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 that's a scary thought. Um, mm-hmm. Like, I know, like, I, I, my godfather is 70 years old, right? So immediately, like, he has a target on his back for COVID. Yes. And mm-hmm. so I, I don't like knowing that 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 people are still having like parties and stuff like a lot of youngsters are just kind of like just kind of living their best life type of thing without really necessarily knowing the severity of this whole pandemic whether or not rates are going down or they're going up it's still a severe pandemic and so um i don't know i i i worry about that but i kind of want to touch base on on a different topic so we talked a lot about um covid being a traumatic experience like how mm-hmm. it could be you know difficult for you know different family dynamics but i want to talk about loneliness and mm-hmm. i think it's something that a lot of people are wrestling with including myself you know mm-hmm. like obviously i'm not like physically lonely like i live with my sister yeah. i have yeah. somebody here but that doesn't mean that the feeling of loneliness isn't there like loneliness mm-hmm. and being you know what i'm saying yeah i really don't know how to explain it but it kind of makes sense in my head no, no, no. I think you said it right. I think, I mean, because we worded just a little bit, like, you can be with your family, for example. Like, for example, my youngest sister, Donnie, is at home with my parents, so she's not physically lonely. But she hasn't seen her friends or her teachers or, you know, the people, her, like, her, her coworkers from her other job in over two months now. So, I mean, it's that piece of socialization that we're missing that although we're not physically lonely, like we could be emotionally lonely. We're craving that that socialization that we once had that all of a sudden was ripped right from under us. Um, so it makes complete sense with your, what you're saying. So w- with loneliness, like how do we really tackle that? Like can, could, can digital solutions ever really su- like replace physical social, like socializing? In my opinion, no. I think, it's, I think it's important that we still stay connected virtually because um, we definitely can get that, you know, mental stimulation that we're not getting, you know, for example, like myself being home alone, like I really thrive on that. But that physical piece of actually seeing someone, seeing someone's body language, 
like, although we don't notice it, like we feed off a, a lot about body language, you know, from head to toe. So um, I think that taking those like socially distant walks are like super important. I know people are really nervous about that, but if, if you play your cards right, and if you're super nervous, wear a mask, but socially distant walks are also super helpful. Um, and I wouldn't do it more than one other person. So if it's like you and me, it's just you and me. And then we go out and go on a walk. But um, but I think slowly, like, that kind of integration is really important. Obviously, mm-hmm. you can't do, you know, I wouldn't recommend doing more than, like, three people on a walk. But that's how I would do it. Like, that's how I've been doing it. And I've found it really helpful for me. Um, but it's hard because, you know, there's anxieties for people right. that, you know, going out and actually doing that kind of stuff with people. But nonetheless, um, yeah, virtual is definitely not enough in my opinion. So I recommend, you know, socially distant walks with one or two people at most. Don't I think feel. I think that's a great suggestion. And it's yeah. because I know that my sister and I and a friend, um, yes, just like a couple days ago, thought about going to the park. And uh, that was just nice, just thinking about, oh, hey, like, we're actually hanging out. Like, what right? I do most days, Priscilla, like, <laughs> uh, like, like I said at the beginning, like, at the intro of the podcast, I was like, I do a lot of video game streaming and stuff like that. So I'm always interacting with people, but it's not the same, you know? Right. Like, you, you think, like, we're talking about, like, POC, you know, like, minority experiences, right, just mm-hmm. on the daily. Like, yeah. I think back to college, like, with Lhasa. You know, yeah. for, for those that didn't listen to like prior episodes of what Lasa, we talked about Lasa. Lasa was the Latin American Student Association that mm-hmm. um, that Priscilla was the president was at at some point, and I was too. Yeah. Um, and it was a group that was very special to our hearts. And yeah. it's a cultural organization, though, so we practice a lot of culture, cultural awareness, and 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 cultural mm-hmm. practices too. And mm-hmm. and a lot of those, you know customs exist within a family on a daily yeah. basis and yeah. now covid is completely like wiping that clean like i got to think about you know all the all the all, all the people that are not having like quinceañeras or quinceañeros or oh, God, you know yeah. all that and 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 just maybe typical like i don't know i, I feel like i'm spewing stereotypes but i'm being real here like carne asadas and like <laughs> like little cookouts and stuff like that like birthday like parties I mean, birthday parties bonfires like you know yeah. it doesn't even have to be limited to the culture it's just you know social gatherings as a whole but like we thrive off of that <laughs> right we uh, that's what i'm saying like like we know like like hey there's just something about like the fam coming over or the fam gathering and and, and just kind of doing our own thing with the thing you know the, the certain cultural aspects that make the experience unique and sure. now like like coronavirus covid is really changing all of that and something mm-hmm. that i think about a lot is like what is what is life going to look like afterwards like what will be the new social norms yeah. and something that we talked about at work somebody brought somebody brought this up in a discussion that the covid-19 pa- pandemic is like this generation's 911 mm-hmm. like nothing yeah. nothing was ever the same after 911 like yeah. like both in our policies but also like you know unfortunately yeah like like how we view one another you know yeah. and mm-hmm. and we talked a lot about wow like there's a lot of things that come into my head like you know we talked a lot about how you know 
the Asian population, Asian folks mm-hmm. are like targets of racism. Yes. You know, like some, sure. some some dude trying to really tell me like, oh, racism doesn't exist. And, you know, the way that you see it now, like especially during these times where people are coming together. I'm like, dude, have you paid attention to anything like that has been going on with the Asian population? Exactly. Like people are, are literally exactly. posting pictures of the Asian market over here in Cleveland with full stocks and everything. Nobody even going over there to buy their groceries besides people in the community. You know, where it used to be a tourist right. attraction. Like, what the heck? And so... Right. I mean, the level of ignorance is, like, out of control. But we're used to this, which is so unfortunate. And they just... And unfortunately, a new target is every time something, you know, insane like this happens. So, and unfortunately, it's, it is the Asian population right now. And so, and, and, and aside from that, in a policy, you know, like like I was saying, like, the, they, pa- they, they passed the Patriot Act after 9-11. And, mm-hmm. you know, that changed everything. That really changed mm-hmm. everything. Like, the, it, you know, like, oh, are we being watched online? And from even just going to the airport where there's, like, millions of layers of security. And yeah. I, I'm not here to debate whether or not it's needed, but it's a change, right? And so yeah. um, what, like, I just got to think, like, what are the changes that are going to happen after this pandemic? What is life going to look like, yeah. you know, uh, for the person of color um, or, you know, you know, uh, and, or many different backgrounds. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Oh, yeah, sure. I mean, we already see the discrepancies now in just testing, right? Just trying to get tested for for the the for COVID. Um, there's a lot of disparities between people of color, the Latino community. I mean, this minorities period compared to our counterpart. So imagine what's happening now. And then, you know, we push it to post covid hopefully there is a post-covid so that and right. you know and we're gonna i can't even imagine what's gonna happen after this and how it's going to impact you know everyone in general so yeah i mean you have a good point and i wish we had answers to that you know yeah and it, it's it's interesting you brought up testing too and because i know that like everyone has at least access to a test but mm-hmm. you know being able to walk through the door and get a test doesn't look the same for everybody. So I'm almost wondering, yeah. like, you know, what is really what is really affecting, you know, people of color and marginalized communities from being tested? And something I had never get out of my head is the fact that, like, so I think that I think I'm paraphrasing the figure that I've seen, but it's around like maybe forty five thousand deaths per year that you know solely because people don't have access to healthcare. Yeah. And so I have mm-hmm. to wonder. How many, like, what, how large is the fraction uh, is of, of that 45,000 people are people of color? Like, how much of, the, of that fraction is? And yeah. will that number be amplified after um, the pandemic is, is, has done its damage? Mm-hmm. What will those numbers look like? And so what I don't really see too much attention on is mental health as a whole. And, and, you know, we're talking a lot about, okay, getting tested and staying alive, but, Mm -hmm. you know, mental health plays a lot in sustaining life too. Yeah. People of color aren't necessarily getting, you know, mental health treatment as it is. So do you think that, 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 that people of color, people of minoritized backgrounds will realize the importance of mental health after this? Well, fingers crossed, yes. But I was thinking about this, or I have been thinking thinking about this in the sense of, you know, that marginalized communities 
already have stigma towards mental health, right? Mm -hmm. So there's already that idea that, you know, we, we don't, our problems, we deal with them and we keep going. We don't need a therapist for that. Or we have, you know, toxic masculinity, machismo, we have all that good stuff. Mm -hmm. So, um, there's parents that don't believe in that kind of stuff. So, um, with already that stigma, with already those, those limitations, you know, it's really hard for me to say that, like, with this pandemic, they're going to realize, oh, you know, this was really traumatic and I need some additional help because a lot of people are just in survival mode and they've mm -hmm. been in survival mode since before this pandemic. So they're just seeing this as another thing that they got to get through in order to keep going. They're not going to see it the way we're kind of seeing it. But it's like, I, I need to talk this out. I need to process this entire experience. Um, my hope is, is that, you know, with all of this happening and with social media where they're throwing out their, you know, mental health is important and, um, and that we need more help that, you know, it'll become more of a priority for people, especially the focus, um, coming around as, you know, be gentle with yourself, take care of yourself, you know, focus on you because if you focus on you, there's a less likelihood of you passing it on to someone else or them passing it on to you. So my hope is yes, but I'm unsure if that's actually going to be a thing. I'm really hoping so too. And there's something else that I know um, my colleagues and I have been really discussing a lot is, is the concept of generational trauma. And mm -hmm. so like we were talking about just, you know, what does trauma look like to us personally? And, you know, how do we practice mental health? It wasn't necessarily with the context of COVID-19, mm -hmm. but with the context of just mental health as a whole. I have to wonder, like, what does the trauma, what is this trauma going to look like for generations to come, you know, being like experiencing a whole pandemic? I think about that a lot. Oh, I'm yeah. like, if I ever have kids, like, am I just going to be scared to <laughs> let them go socialize? Like, that, that's like a horrible thought, but I got to wonder. Oh, yeah. I mean, imagine those who are suffering with OCD. This pandemic has taken everything to a whole new level. I mean, I have I have clients who are buying $3,000 worth of PPE when they don't have the money because they're so terrified of what's going to happen to them and to their families. And that's going to carry on with them and to their children. And their children are going to think like that. And then it's going to keep going. So... And that's just one example. For those who are struggling um, wholeheartedly with this pandemic, as you know, as future generations come along, there's always going to be that teaching of, listen, you know, give give that other person space, like at least six feet. That's going to be a thing from now on, for sure. For those who have been taking this seriously, or that concept of like, listen, I don't know if you should go to that party. You know, if there's 50 or more people, you shouldn't be there. I can easily see I can easily see that being conversations with us as parents if you know if that kind of thing happens. Um, oh, but for sure this is definitely going to to drag along with our future generation. And you know I really hope that we can extinguish it like and really learn from mistakes mm -hmm. and 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 kind of find a way to like I guess make it empowering in some way. You know, yeah. for 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 the next generation to come, I think, like they're probably gonna look at us like like oh like you're just worried about getting sick, but it's like you can't really truly understand until you actually go through it. Yeah, and oh my and God, yeah. it's weird to say because I never thought that like our generation could really be 
shuddered by all of this, you know? <laughs> oh yeah, oh yeah. I mean, I think like a lot of the way, a lot of the way that people are thinking, um, it's kind of similar into the way that I remember experiencing 9/11. Like just the like the patterns are very similar in just like how people are reacting, how people are just thinking how people are being unfiltered and you know how people are protecting their families the way they're protecting their families the patterns are super similar they're not exactly the same but definitely there for sure i wonder like what the differences are those like in those patterns are like with mm-hmm. 9-11 you know obviously i was so young like mm-hmm. i i remember like being at my godmother's house with my mom mm-hmm. and and seeing it on tv and just not really understanding like why everyone was scared I probably thought it was like a movie on TV or something because I never you don't tell a kindergartner like or first grader, whatever grade I was in, you know, mm-hmm. oh, we're, our country's being attacked and, you know, we might go yeah. to like, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Um, so I didn't really comprehend it. Mm-hmm. But what I understand, you know, growing up and having people start having all this dialogue around 9-11 is it, a lot of came a lot of it came from like nationalism. Yeah. It was very centered around like a traumatic experience around nationalism. Like right. America was attacked. Right. You know what it's I'm saying? It's very different than the way how we're thinking because the world is being attacked. Do you think that there like what are the parallels between that and COVID trauma? Like do you mm. think it's really uh, like do, do a lot of the similarities come from a sentiment of our way of life is being attacked or is it like similarities like with 9/11 where it's like our country's being attacked by a virus. You see what I'm saying? Sure. No, for sure. Yeah, no, I think, I think a hundred percent that idea that you said of, you know, our, our, the way we live is being attacked or like, you know, life, our life, our routines, our pattern is being attacked and is being interjected by something that we did not plan for something that, you know, came, that, came completely out of the way and just impacted everyone. Um, in in COVID's case, it's the world, whereas 9-11 was, you know, the United States. So they're very different traumas, but, um, and it was, and 9-11 was, it, it impacted a lot of people, but it was that isolated incident and that feeling that it could happen again, whereas mm. COVID is, is a rapidly spreading virus that has there's no look like there's no light at the end of the tunnel right now so everyone's in panic so i think those that's how they're very different in that sense of things but the idea that our lifestyles or the way we live is being attacked for sure is the same and that's where i kind of see the patterns a little bit more so i kind of want to ask these this this next question in two different Mm -hmm. ways so it has it, it all has to do with like Actually, in going, actually going to get help, mental health help. Right. And okay. so the first way I want to ask it is, if you know somebody that mm-hmm. clearly is suffering from this, you know, traumatic mm-hmm. experience of COVID and you know lockdown and such, like how do you how do you safely convince somebody that hey, maybe see getting you know getting some professional help may be good for you? Yeah, yeah. Um, so that's a great question, and that one and that one's always a little tough because. You want to come from a loving and supportive place, but at the same time, not tell not tell someone what to do, right? Um, because naturally, when we tell someone what to do, they do the exact opposite. That's usually how it goes. So, um, <laughs> I think I think the, the biggest way that you can be a support to someone 
is prepare ahead of time. And I always tell this to my clients or to anyone really prepare ahead of time. I need you to take notes and in what you recognize about the person, about your loved one. So what have you noticed that's concerning? Whether that's they can't get out of bed, whether they, you know, their hygiene hasn't been completely off, whether they've been sounding really off or they've been more negative than normal or they're just sitting on the couch, they're not taking care of themselves. I, I need you to be able to be able to write those things down and be able to say why that's concerning to you. If you're able to say that to them, they can understand it's coming from a loving place, not that you're, not that you're judging them. Um, I think that's important. I think, to, like I've said before, saying I feel statements makes it a less argumentative conversation in a, in a place of, of feelings and conversation um, so they don't get defensive. And I think by you having that conversation like that and saying, listen, I'm here for you. This is not a place of judgment. I want to support you. And I was wondering um, what your thoughts were on like mental health and like, and like getting a little bit more support because help sometimes is, is very triggering for people. Help is not a word that people like hearing um, because a lot of people think that they can do things on their own. So right. I love using the word support. So have you ever thought about getting a little bit extra support from a third party, like from someone who doesn't know anything that can just hear you out and have an unbiased opinion. Like usually when someone hears that, um, they're more receptive to it. And then a lot of the time uh, people forget the follow-up. So once you have that great conversation and it goes the way it goes, following up is super important because you can have that combo, but seven times out of 10, that person won't follow up with themselves and they're going to leave it alone until you bring it up next. So it's good to follow up within, you know, the end of that week being, hey, listen, like, um, I remember what we talked about, like, if you need any help finding anybody, I can reach out to someone that I know, and whatever, and help you get the, you know, resources that you need, because I'm here for you. And I want you to be able to be okay, or get to a place where you feel like you can be okay. Um, I think is the underlying foundation of how that should go. I think that was a fantastic breakdown. And you know what? I gotta give you props because I remember when we were in college, like you 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 you, you preached, you know, many of the same things. Mm-hmm. Like like you know, for different situations obviously, yeah. but like whether it be like conflict conflict resolution or yeah. or or you know, just 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 talking about things, leading with like I feel statements, I statements and stuff. Yeah. You know, yeah. instead of being accusatory, you know, mm-hmm. start a conversation. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Start a conversation. That's all it is. That's all it is. You're not, you're not going in with the purpose of forcing them to do something. Because at the end of the day, you can't control what they do. You can only control what you do. So you just want to engage them in, a, in the conversation. They're, the point, the idea of like, listen, you got to do this, or I can't hang out with you, or you know, I can't help you if you don't help yourself. Like those kinds of phrases just bring someone even more down. Um, that that's not your place to say that right so yeah so let's talk about what you know controlling about what you can do so mm-hmm. it's kind of like the second the second way i want to ask the question is if you feel like you know you're starting to have those thoughts. i mean i i can say that because i mean like i i i've been there like starting to have thoughts or it's like okay well maybe i do need to see somebody like you mm-hmm. know for somebody that is 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 kind of beginning to think those things or maybe haven't even started at all 
What are some things that somebody could look out for to kind of get started on that path? Sure. So um, I think like the top warning signs of just recognizing that you may need a little extra support is if you're overthinking a lot. Now, naturally, um, most of us are overthinkers. <laughs> I feel like, I, I, that's like a personal attack on me. I feel <laughs> no, 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 it's okay. I overthink too. It's okay. <laughs> that's why I use that one. It's okay. So as, as, as you notice yourself overthinking more, um, overthinking will become racing thoughts or swirling thoughts, whereas these thoughts go so fast in your head and it's a complete cycle of thoughts after thought after thought after thought and you really can't control it which in turn a lot of the time happens usually right before you go to bed and then you can't sleep and it really messes up your sleep pattern mm. so um usually it's that kind of trigger effect sometimes those racing and swirling thoughts happen all day long and when you notice that they're getting more intense or if you notice that you have them it might be a sign that you needed a little extra a little extra support to help manage that a little bit better. It's usually the reason why you have all those thoughts is because you're having a hard time breaking those down and you don't have someone to process them with. So that's like the first step in, in, in like thoughts like that or in the idea of kind of like anxiety um, or panic. Um, if you notice that with all of those thoughts, for example, your chest tightens or you get really shaky or you get really flushed, um, your heart beats really fast, you're, you get lightheaded. Those are signs of a panic attack or anxiety attack. Um, and those start coming in when the swirling thoughts and the overthinking is a little too intense. So um, that's how that progresses. And then in the realm of like depression or in the sense of just feeling um, really unmotivated, um, that starts with just sim you know simply staying in bed longer than you should, knowing that you should get up. And then it becomes... And then that takes over during the day. I know I have to get this done, but um, I can do it later. And then you never actually do it. Or um, refraining like from getting in contact with people. I really don't want to talk to them anymore. Like I'm really over them. Um, that unmotivated, like that unmotivatedness eventually becomes anger. And most people don't know that. And it leads to anger and it leads to you being easily irritated over things. You recognizing that the slightest things people say are just you're outdone with them you're over them you don't want to deal with them anymore and you don't need them in your life those kinds of things are a little harder to recognize um at community behavioral like we have therapists uh like myself and we have for people that might be interested in medication we have that so medication is also super helpful and you may not even need therapy you might just need some medication um, which is not a forever thing that people are always confused about. But in that realm of things, you know, going to psychology today to find support is a lot of the time um, minorities would love to have uh, additional support or a therapist or provider. And by provider, I say medication provider um, who can identify with their, you know, ethnicity, race, or just, you know, that. identities. Um, I feel that. Um, so, <laughs> so I get it. So a lot of people go to psychology today. Um, if anybody's ever interested in trying to figure that out, you can also reach out to me. I love doing that for people, being able to find someone, you know, from the Asian community that would help you because you don't want to have to explain things. Um, 
uh, about, you know, your family or about just your identities, they kind of already get it. So trust me, I get that. Um, so I think Psychology Today is a great resource. If not, reach out to me. I'd be more than happy to help. Um, or reach out to the Behavioral Health Center. And we'd be more than happy to help you. <laughs> nice. I can, I can say, like, I kind of went through that, like, myself, where I'm just, like, you know, trying to look for a therapist that just gets it. And, and you know, like, not the situation, obviously. I mean, not everyone's going to 100% get your own situation. But, like, who you are as a person, you oh, know? Yeah. Like, when you find yourself, like, kind of re-explaining the obvious, like, why are we talking about this? I don't really want to talk about this. Like, yeah. I don't want to be – I don't want to talk about, like, why – my family came from also, you know what I'm saying? Like whatever, yeah. oh, you no, know, for sure. or for sure that like that idea of machismo in our, in our culture or just toxic masculinity that's super heavy in, in um, ethnic community, just that idea of toxic masculinity. And for like, for a therapist who get that already off the bat, like just because of their life experiences, that makes a huge difference. So I get that wholeheartedly. What I've realized about toxic toxic masculinity is, you know, while it's very associated with males, like mm-hmm. it doesn't necessarily have to be bound to just one gender. And oh, I say sure. that I say that because toxic masculinity exists in, in 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 so many different people, just depending on the way that you were raised. Like if you yeah. lived in a toxic masculine household, yeah. toxic masculine behaviors are going to you know show in the children whether they you know the matter of the gender. Oh, and sure. what I notice, sure. what I notice a lot is, you know, with the toxic masculinity comes that pride, you yeah. know, and and, yeah. and and my follow up point isn't to say that everyone that does this is toxically masculine. Like, <laughs> no, that's not what I'm trying to say. What right. I'm trying to say is like, you know, there are a lot of folks that are in the Latinx community, but in many different communities that don't go get help because they have that pride, you right. know, where they don't, you know, I can do this myself. So there's right. that aspect. Oh, and then there's sure. the other side of the coin where it's like, I don't want to get help because I'm scared. Yes. Yes. How do you That's get over funny. those humps? You know what I'm saying? Oh, Lord. So that feeling of being scared, I will be the first person to say, um, I, I go to therapy myself. And I, as a therapist, was scared to go see a therapist. And I'm a therapist. So that's, if that's not telling you something, I don't know what is. Yeah. But like the idea of, um, if we combine the toxic masculinity or the machismo in just, you know, cultures all, ac- all across, um, whether you're male, I mean, even as a female growing up in that, like, that concept of, well, like, this is what I viewed, you know, the people who were my providers, this is what I viewed. So, like, I see myself like this. So for women, it ends up hitting their self-esteem a lot. And it could be in good ways, it could be in bad ways, but a, a lot of the time it hits their self-esteem. To get it separately, to get over that hump of being scared, I think is changing our language and how we see, you know, getting help, getting extra support. So like in that simple of me, for me, changing help and support, I think is a big step. And saying that like, you know, you don't have to tell them your whole life story if you don't want to. You tell them whatever you want to, and you control the conversation, which is what a, a lot of people don't understand. I'm not here as a therapist to tell you what to do. I'm here to listen. I'm here to question. I'm here to challenge you. 
But at the end of the day, you still do what you need to do for yourself. I just give hearty suggestions and I give recommendations and I encourage you to get to the best level of yourself that you can. And, you know, I'm pretty sure I can say that for other therapists, but that's, that's our main goal to get you to your best self and to recognize that your decisions can be good for you, even though you may not feel that they're good for you or are bad or that they're actually bad for you. So I think knowing that and having conversations around that can get us over the hump. Like going to seek additional support doesn't make you weak. It makes you so strong. It makes you, it, it, it helps you recognize that you can't do this on your own. And that's so much more powerful than disregarding all the help that comes in front of you, all the support that comes in front of you and saying like, I got this, I don't need you. Because then at the end of the day, you're very lonely and you're left confused as to why people are not there supporting you because you told them no this entire time. All right, so let's talk about something really quick. Um, something that has affected a lot of people though are those graduating. You know, I'm glad that we're talking about this actually because you know you reminded me about it <laughs> but yeah. let's talk about those graduating um obviously like yeah. seeing i see a lot of instagram posts of people on their laptops and you know their zoom calls have the little dun, 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 thing going and i just can't help but think like yo like <laughs> i can't even imagine you know yeah like you're happy you're graduating college is done but right this is not like the the moment people are dreaming for, huh? Right. So, this, this I mean, wasn't the you plan. know, yeah. let's talk about that for a second. Like, you want to, like, you just kind of want to unpack all that? Yeah, absolutely. So, I think the first thing that comes to mind is those who are, were supposed to be graduating or who are graduating, like, they are graduating, mm -hmm. but they don't get to do it in, in the traditional sense um, for those who want to do it traditionally. And I think so deeply and so oh, profoundly yeah. about those who are first generational and have been banking on walking across that stage and proving something not only to their family and to those and to their supports and to their professors, but to themselves and how they're not able to do that, you know, traditional piece of it. I mean, I can only imagine how traumatizing that is for this pandemic because if things are going the way that they're going, they're going to be the only class that have to deal with this. And this is like high school, you know, undergrad, graduate, you know, um, doctoral, like for those who are first generational, for those who are just graduating period, um, I, I can't imagine that feeling that they have that they don't get to do it the way others do it. That doesn't make it any less important, which I think a lot of people are missing. You know, you graduating in itself is crucial. Like, I know my sister, Gabby, she's supposed to be graduating in May and walking across this great stage and she can't do it anymore. But nonetheless, she got that degree. She's a first-generational college student in our family, like myself and like how my younger sister, Donnie, um, is going to be next year. And she did that thing. And she's going to grad school. And, you know, she worked all those hours and put all that, all that, all that mm -hmm. power into getting that degree, but we forget that it's still important, um, even though she doesn't need to walk across that stage. But my heart 100% still goes out to it, because that's hard. That's tough. My heart goes and, all to that, too. And, and and thank you for, for illustrating that with, with, you know, 
with your sister's experiences mm-hmm. like you know i I, I your your sisters are like family to me too. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Like you know, you're mm-hmm. like family to me, and 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 Gabby and Danny are like family to me too. And and it kind of hurts to to think that like you know, I'm so happy for Gabby because Gabby's doing great things. Like seriously, and I'm not taking any of that. I'm not taking any of that away from her. But what right. she deserves is to get the same. You know, uh, uh, she gets to walk around. She gets. She should be able to walk across the same stage as 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 you did and how yeah. you know i did and every all of her friends have done you know and it's it's just so it's weird because it's like a conflict that's like we want everybody to be safe and we don't want to put anyone at risk right, right. and the, the unfortunate terrible ripple effect from that is exactly. that you know those ceremonies that the little ceremonies that we were talking about with like the latinx families right yes. and the little yes. cultural stuff, like that's special yes. to us but to the college yeah. student you know, most college students want to walk across that stage and get that recognition. And I'm yes. so glad that you brought up the whole first generation um, experience, too. Yeah. Because, you know, it's not only about the student at that point. It's about the mm-hmm. parents, too. I, I yes. kind of want to tell you this little anecdote. Like, my 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 dad, like, cried. Mm-hmm. It makes me kind of want to cry, like, talking about it. Because it's like, like, my dad cried. Like, yeah. and, and it, it's almost like, oh, because, like, he accomplished something. Right. But, I'm not saying that because a lot of a lot of kids will be like, oh, you know, my dad thinks he's me and he thinks this is his accomplishment. No, I'm not talking from that. Te- I'm not call- <laughs> no, talking no, from no. the text standpoint right. at all. I'm coming from the standpoint. It's like he did do something like, you know, if you know about El Salvador, like like my parents escaped the war. Yeah, they ended up here. And, you know, it, it's something they always told my, my sister and I. It's like, you know, we had you because we do not we never fathom you know, wanting to have you in the situations that we came from. Yeah. And and for my dad and my mom to see me graduate, it was just it was just like, whoa, like they would they 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 wouldn't probably have the same experience. Like my chances of dying in El Salvador are much higher than dying or being here. In a gang? Yes. Or being Absolutely. in a gang. You know what Absolutely. I'm saying? And yeah. and and so like there's that experience too. So I think about mm-hmm. the parents. Like I really do think about those 100%. parents that 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 didn't get to graduate from college, and yeah. and and we're lo- looking forward to seeing their kid, like, yo, like they did it. Now they still get right. to have that feeling, but it's nothing that years and years and years of expectations ever fed them. Like right, and it's that piece of expectation, right, where it's like, you know, you expect them to walk across that stage, but all because they don't get to does not mean that that degree means any less. Like right. you put all that work in, like it still counts. And all because you didn't get to walk across that stage, girl, I'll make you a stage. Like, you know what I yeah. mean? Like at the end of the day, like if that's what's important, we'll make it happen. Um, and I think that's that's really hard for like for and like I said, for first generational, because you're right, you know, a piece of that comes with the family and you know, the guardians and like, you know, it's not that I'm living through you, it's that, you know, I I raised you and you get to do and you get to have all these opportunities and I didn't get to have and I'm so proud of you for that. You know? Right. So um for sure, I mean the impact that has or like even the idea of, you know, they don't get to experience senior week, for example, at John Carroll, you know? And that was a big milestone for seniors, you know, at John Carroll, for example, or, you know, um the multicultural recognition ceremony. Oh my God, I, you're right. I yeah. had to do that via Zoom. And I can't imagine doing that via Zoom, but she did it, you know? 
-hmm. And it's like getting that kente soul, you know, the multicultural soul and not being able to physically get it on you by solid. Like those are all pieces that make you really sad. And it's okay to feel sad. I think at the end of the day, it's okay to feel sad. But recognize that the way you're graduating is still so important. Because you, know, you got through it, and on top of that, through a pandemic. I want to I want to throw out a little shout out. I want to shout out Silo and CSDI, you know, yes. for everything that they've been doing. Like, like yes. I know we're I know Priscilla and I are talking about like, you know, we wish that this pandemic didn't keep us inside and do everything yeah. virtually. I don't think anyone wants to do this, but Silo and CSDI have been doing their very best yes. to make sure that they made this the most pleasurable experience for yes. current students. And even students so wholeheartedly. Yeah, like they, like really shout out to them like for holding spaces like hangout spaces for for not only students but but alum too like yeah you know just to kind yeah. of pop in there say hello like you know really checking in and, and truly caring like that's that was the biggest difference maker like going 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 to JCU was incredibly hard for a person of color or from a minoritized background a marginalized background like like it's incredibly hard it is so hard and you don't know that. You know, I tell you this, Priscilla. Like, it, it it never was it was never apparent to me until my my therapist told me like you are suffering trauma from your experience at John Carroll, and I'm like, what? <laughs> like, what are you talking about? I think it's like nah, like you know, all the activism, all the all the protests and stuff. That's all that was all expected. It was normal. It's like, well, that's yeah. actually like a symptom of trauma. Like, you normalize it and you just kind of pack it away and make it and, and make it seem like it's okay. I and do. then I'm like, ew, like, whoa, this is, <laughs> this is new. Like, I never, so anyways, the point that I'm trying to paint, is, the, the point that I'm trying to make is CSDI is not letting their students down when it comes to this, you know, they're not at least trying their best not to let them down, sure. you know, throughout For this sure. pandemic. And, you know, even though people have to graduate online, at least CSDI is making an effort to recognize them, period, yeah. in a good way. And yeah, and for those in, at other universities that are making it work for their students, like kudos to y'all, because, you know, as students and as a student before, like I looked up to those departments so heavily and I like I thrived on their support. So I can't imagine that if you're being as supportive as um, as you're being or even more supportive in this pandemic, like that it just makes my heart glow to know that, that these students have that kind of support. So, yeah. Right. I think those are all fantastic points. And, mm -hmm. you know, I, I kind of want to touch base on this is like access, yeah. you know, a lot of people in marginalized communities just, just don't have as much access to mental health yeah. services as, you know, white folks do or, or people that come from like not working class backgrounds or, yeah. you know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. And so, how do we go about that? Like, how how can like I mean we could talk about like we could talk about like in, within proximity of Ohio. Like I know like in um in Lorraine there's the Nord Center and they have a sliding scale um yeah. pricing system based upon like you know your own financial situation. Okay. So some yeah. people some people they go in there and they get free service, right? But not yeah. everywhere is not everywhere is Lorraine. Not everywhere right. has a Nord Center. You know, right. like, let's talk about like, the Clevelands. Let's talk about maybe any of the areas that you know about. Like, how can people of color get access to healthcare? It's it's one thing to talk about, hey, you should go. But let's sure. let's talk about how you can go. Absolutely. So um, in Cleveland, in the sense of, like, resources, um, off, the, off the bat, there's a free clinic in Cleveland, and you can get referred to services that are free there. Um, and Which clinic uh, was that? 
it's, I believe it's called the free clinic and I can look it up and I'll okay. put on later, but I believe it's okay. called the free clinic and they have, um, I believe they have mental health services. On top of that, we have neighborhood family practice, Catholic charities. We have, um, we have, well, like in Cleveland, just alone, we have an array of mental health services that use sliding scale, like what you were talking about, which mm. um, like Carlos explained, it's, you know, if you can't afford something at the full price, they can bring it, they bring it down on the scale so that it's affordable for you. Um, if, if in Cleveland or in Ohio, the type of insurance you have more than likely will cover mental health services. Sometimes mm. there'll be a copay, depending on the agency, you can work something out. Um, so I think that's important to also recognize. Um, for example, at my agency, like, we're big supporters of Medicaid. We take Medicare, Medicaid. We we will give you all the services there, actually, um, from case management to medication to therapy. Um, but we also take private insurance. Um, we also take, you know, care source. You know, the Obamacare, like, those mm-hmm. cover mental health services wholeheartedly. So they'll, they'll cover it most of the time, 100%. So um, in terms of finding resources, they're here in Cleveland. I think just a lot of people don't know about them. And again, um, to get more info, for sure, reach out to me and I can help you figure that out. And how about folks that, I mean, just quite frankly, are uninsured? Like, are, is there ways for people to get mental health, you know, um, services, like say if they are uninsured or don't have access to that type of insurance? So for those who are uninsured, I believe that free clinic can help them with that. I okay. know that there's... Um, and I can look it up. And I, I had to look it up. Um, there's a link for those who are uninsured who need um, mental health services and how they can get mental health services who are uninsured. Um, that I'm not 100% um, like knowledgeable of, but I can find stuff that we can connect to, you know, the post that they can have for sure. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, yeah. And then whenever those links come, I can put them in the in the episode description just so people can Perfect. look over there. So I always tell the listeners. Listeners, look at the episode descriptions. Like that's where a lot of the resources <laughs> yes, are going to be. <laughs> like, like straight up, just, just like, like the links are there. Just go ahead yeah. and look at it. So, um, but yeah. So thank you so much for everything, Priscilla. Uh, it's <laughs> always a, a huge pleasure talking to you. And and you know, I learned a lot today. And it's it's, you know, in the middle of COVID, it's always nice to have a in depth conversation with somebody. You know, oh, and right. about important things. Yeah. And I know that a lot of people are going to listen to this and think like, you know what? Like, I'm not, I'm not alone in this. And, you know, there are people that care um, even throughout these trying times. So. For sure. Thanks for having me. I mean, this was a great conversation. I'm glad I was able to talk about all of this because I think it's super important. So for sure. Cool. And so let's go ahead and wrap it up with that last question I was telling you about. Okay. <laughs> so if you could say one last thing before signing off today, what would it be? You know, to the mm-hmm. listeners, obviously. Yes. To the listeners, to reach to the finish listeners. Um, so, um, well, I'll, I'll cap it with, you know, with the conversation we had today. And I know I said this a little bit before, but um, I think if I could say one thing to y'all, it would, it would be to understand how um, resilient and strong you are, to, no matter what your situation is right now. I think we tend to forget that. Um, just in daily life before this, 
before this pandemic. Um, and I think we don't get told that enough. We have to tell it to ourselves because we don't have a choice because that's how we get through life. But um, I think hearing it from someone else is also super important. And at the end of the day, you know, we can't do life alone. That's although we want to, we can't. So that little extra support that whether that be from family, whether that be from a friend, from a coworker, from someone like me, who's a mental health therapist, we need that. We need that constant contact with someone who can tell us it's going to be okay, even though we don't know if it's going to be okay. Um, so that would be my little piece. Everybody's great. Y'all are strong and resilient out here. <laughs> Thank you so much, Priscilla. And for ever, thank you, thank you so, thank you so much for coming on to the episode. And to all the listeners that are still listening all the way up until this point, congratulations! You made it through the first episode in a very, very long time. And so, whether you're listening on Spotify, Apple Music, or wherever you listen to your podcast, thank you for rejoining Race to the Finish. And you know, I'll promise to get out as many episodes as I possibly can before this pandemic ends because. I'm not doing anything but sitting here working and when I'm not working, I'm streaming. And so why not add a podcast on today? So, um, again, thank you so much, Priscilla. And I hope you, uh, you know, take care and you stay safe. Thank you too. All right. Bye-bye everyone.